The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 9 with Jeff McDonald. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Okay, welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast. Um, back for another episode, and tonight we have a great guest, uh, Jeff McDonald. Um, if you missed our last episode with Emily Wigan, um, this is uh, her better half. Um, so, welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Joe. I you know, appreciate having me on. Looking forward to it. Great. Uh, let's get right into it. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a little bit of background uh, about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, don't want to go too deep. Um, I'm obviously way older than Emily, as you can tell just by the picture. Um, I turned, I became a PGA pro in, in 1997. So I've been doing this for quite some time. Originally when I got in the business, uh, you know, I really loved to play. I was a competitive junior golfer, uh, never played really collegiately. I became a golfer when I was 20. So, uh, pretty much right out of high school. Uh, and then, um, you know, I, uh, I really like the business side of things first. So I got into the, you know, the pro shop side. I always thought I'd be a head golf professional. Um, and I worked at a club in Edmonton, Alberta. And then after a couple of years out there, I, I got the opportunity to go to uh, the Royal Montreal Golf Club uh, in Montreal, Quebec, which is uh, one of the oldest golf clubs in North America. Great membership and really, really good players. And it was at that golf club that I, um, met a gentleman whose daughter was really into competitive skiing. So he said, Hey, do you want to go for dinner one night and talk about, you know, competitive junior golf or where I think it can go and what's lacking. And I was like, sure. Sounds good. So we went out to dinner and he sort of got into what his daughter did as a competitive skier. Like, so she was 15 years old at the time and um, they were doing stuff like going to Chile in the summer to train and do all these different things. Uh, and I found it really fascinating and he said you know he understood multi-sport and i'm all for multi-sport but he said you know if you're a competitive golfer especially in canada if, if you're not training indoors and doing like the technical work at that time it's so hard to get caught up through the summer so you're always kind of chasing it so he said why don't you start a you know an indoor program there was a golf dome in that city and i did thinking that you know might get a few kids and uh there was a couple of us that were doing it at the time and we got a bunch of kids and all of a sudden it just became this, you know, thing that kids wanted to do and they wanted to compete. Um, they, it started to, to give me the understanding of how to structure a, a, a competitive program and how important it was, especially as these kids are, are growing and going through different things, how important it was to give them the time in sort of February, March, January, February, March, April to really work on technique and make the changes and then, you know, get into the spring season. And up here, I mean, the kids are competing so early. Uh, I've had kid, kids play their first competitive event of the year. Uh, actually, their first of, uh, round of the year was a competitive event just because of the way the weather fell and everything. So it sort of opened up my eyes to a few things on how to train. And um, I was in Montreal for about 10 years and running those types of programs with some success. Um and I actually got really fortunate at the time 
there was a female player at the club who was a three-time Canadian amateur champion, so a really good player uh, by the name of Lisa Meldrum. And uh, she was on the Futures Tour, and she was struggling a little bit and uh, sort of saw that I was coaching a lot of high-level juniors and sort of sought me out to help her. Um, so I worked with her for two or three years. She ended up making the LPJ Tour. Uh, as in coaching, sometimes it doesn't always work out. Uh, and a fellow by the name of Sean Foley ended up teaching her. But uh, her and I are still really good friends to this day. And funny enough, she's actually now the teaching pro at Royal Montreal. So her and I, she, she stopped playing after a few years. Uh, we still talk a lot about uh, different things and a lot of instruction stuff. So I try to help her out on that side of it. Um, and then I ended up, I'm originally from Nova Scotia. So I ended up coming back here about uh, seven or eight years ago. Um, and there was some good stuff happening here. We had some good players. There's one, one teaching pro doing a great job. And I just built off what they were doing, created my own program, ended up becoming the provincial coach, uh, and since have sent uh, you know numerous players to the NCAA, uh, some mini tour stuff. I haven't quite got over the threshold of sort of PGA Tour Canada, but uh, hoping to you know get someone past that level at some point and uh just this past year uh my teaching i have a teaching partner named kyle scott him and i created uh our company now which is called mcdonald scott golf uh which we have our own high performance team and everything's going great we had a lot of kids ready to go we were planning out our season and then all of a sudden two months ago everything stopped so we've been doing a lot of stuff online uh trying to connect with them virtually uh, but we're actually quite concerned with tournament schedules and what's going to happen up here. Um, you know, our kids need national exposure. They need, you know, even U.S. exposure in order to get to that next level of NCAA golf, which is a lot of their goals. Um, and I honestly don't know what's going to happen this year with all that. So that's a little bit on me, but yeah. Nice. Great. It sounds like you have a ton of, a ton of great experience working with, working with juniors. What's kind of the typical age range that you work with? Um, I work with juniors that are a little bit older and that are already a little bit established. I've done the other stuff as well, but it just high performance coaching or coaching in general. It's so time consuming, uh, that at the facility I work at, we've got another, uh, four assistant professionals. So I sort of organize and do the junior programs for them. So they'll go from like sort of seven to 12. But once a player sort of gets into that competitive level at 12, 13 years old, that's where I'll sort of uh, bring them along on, on our program. So I'd say right now in the junior age, I'm going from 12 to 18, I'd say was, is the age category that I'm working in. Nice. So um, you're, you're really looking to develop their game at this point. I mean, they're starting to – they're still doing a little bit of a different sports probably on the, that younger side there, but – you know, yeah. I'm sure they're definitely looking if they're, you know, re- really good, they're looking to specialize at some point. For sure. Yeah. You know, we definitely get to that point. I'd say, you know, I'd say here with the seasons and everything, we need to make sure they, they do stay in other sports and hockey is probably the biggest one. And some of these kids are incredible hockey players as well. So sometimes uh, I've lost two kids uh, who now play professional hockey. One plays for the Ottawa Senators and one plays for the AHL team in Manitoba. Um, and I remember them telling me at 15, I had a, a discussion with their parents about uh, golf and their opportunities. And I remember one of them said, no, no, uh, we're done with golf. We're going to focus on hockey. And, you know, I totally respected that. But 
it's really hard to play in the NHL. And I thought, okay, well, maybe. And he's going to play in the NHL. He's not quite there yet. And the other one was really interesting. He was a he was a kid, and at 16 years old, he was about five foot six. But he was a very talented hockey player, and he was a really good golfer. So I wanted him to focus on golf. And his dad at the time wanted him to turn his attention to golf, but the kid wanted to play hockey really, really badly. And his dad was kind of telling him, look, at 5'6", it's going to be really tough for you to to make it to the NHL. And he stuck with it. He ended up getting – I mean, he was cut from his AAA midget team, his junior A team, uh, wasn't drafted in the queue. And then all of a sudden, he just took this huge growth spurt. He's now six foot three, uh, And at 20 years old, he ended up playing in the NHL. It happened almost overnight. So – uh, I kind of laugh sometimes that uh, I could have ruined that one pretty good for that guy, but I'm, I think uh, I think he made the right decision, uh, and it was uh, it was exciting to see. It's great to you know to see those kids go on and, and do different things. But I would say at you know 15, 16 years old, we're looking for the commitment. Uh, before that, we want kids to be exploring everything, and you know we still want them to, be, to have a balanced life as well. Yeah, how how we can go into how important it is to. Uh, you know, cross train and do those different sports just based on your perspective working with these kids. But also my other question is how much you hear a lot of times that uh, golfers or hockey players make really good golfers. How, how true is that in your experience? It's, it's pretty true. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, they're very strong. They're very stable. Um, They've got good hand eye coordination. Uh, So really like, you know, there's a lot of things that go hand in hand. Uh, the one thing that a lot of people don't know is you'll see all, a lot of times you'll see a hockey player who plays left-handed, but they play golf right-handed. It's very common to see that mixture. There's no pattern. I've actually tried to figure it out and try to figure out some things along the way, but there's really, there's no pattern and it doesn't really influence them one way uh, or the other. I have a few of my own theories on it. Uh, especially being, I grew up playing hockey left-handed and playing golf right-handed, and I kind of think, geez, if I would have done, you know, sometimes both the same way, maybe things would have been a little different. But um, I, I like that. But the other thing about hockey players is they're really resilient and they're super. Most of the time, they're very tough, really competitive. So that edge that they bring to the golf course, uh, to a certain degree, can, can also help them. Uh, and also sometimes that hockey mentality is not great on the golf course, so it's sort of that balancing act but it's such a big part of our uh, our culture that we sort of we go with it and uh, both myself and Kyle our instructors play fairly high level hockey as well so it just kind of goes with the territory a little bit yeah I can imagine that golfers have a really good like you said they're really stable I mean they're using their legs pretty much the whole time that they're playing which is obviously you're not doing that while you're playing golf but you got to be able to generate that force from the ground significantly and then it's also a rotational sport, right? Just like golf is. So huge, sure. huge crossover there. Um, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Most hockey players can hit the golf ball a long way. Yeah. yeah. How, um, so do you, do you work with adults at all? Still? I do. Really? I do. Yeah. We, I have to. I mean, it's, um, you know, the juniors, I would say, would be uh, quite a bit of my time, but uh, I'm, at a, I'm at a private golf club. We've got 1,200 members. We run, myself and Kyle run the the whole teaching academy, so we do different things. The one thing I'd say about five years ago that we learned, because, you know, I was talking about that off-season training with the juniors, we kind of figured out that adults like that too, uh, and it really helped us grow our our business, and we run 
you know, we run programs for adults that go from January to September. Uh, we run winter programs, just improvement programs. We also found out that they really like to compete just like kids do. So we, we kind of structure practices similar to our adults as for our juniors. And it's, it's worked really well. They, they kind of, I think they felt like they were missing out a little bit when we were doing it solely for juniors, but now we just do it. We do it for everybody. Nice. So what do you, from, from your perspective in terms of like training and teaching, what is your mm-hmm. difference or what, what have you noticed difference when you're teaching a, a junior versus an adult? Well, it depends on the adults, but you know, again, being a private golf club in Halifax, uh, we have a lot of older members, so it's, it's completely different. Um, you know, with our kids and working with Emily, uh, you know, we, we, we know their, their limitations or we know what they need to work on, but most kids are quite capable of making most movements. They're not limited in too many, too many areas. If anything, we're trying to get them to be more stable or, you know, sometimes less rotation or, or less mobility on their shoulders. And with our adults, um, you know, we really encourage them to go see Emily to get uh, some of the issues. Most people have injuries or problems that they've had throughout their career from doing something. So we try to get them to go see her, but they all don't, you know, they're all, some people are busy and they don't, they don't want to take that route. They just want to golf. Um, so I always make the joke, if you hear me teach all day, I contradict myself constantly. You know, one person I'm talking about rotation and separating. The next person I'm talking about them, you know, feeling pressure in their lead leg and swinging their arms and making sure they get the face closed to the path. And that's it. So it just really depends on the individual of what their capabilities are. And I'm always, we're always sort of teaching around that or looking at it. You know, we love though the people that, they want to work at it. They want the complete package. Those, so they want to improve their body so that we can make the corrections that we think uh, would best fit them without so much manipulation. Um, you know, Emily and I always talk about, uh, you know, we, I love TPI. I think it's fantastic. But I'm always like, look, as a golf pro, I can manipulate the club, how, you know, whatever I want. So if I have a student and they can't separate or they early extend, I can make the golf club work for them as well. Of course, I understand the benefits of doing both because it's going to be, you know, less injury. It's going to last way longer for them if they make those changes. But some people just don't choose to go down that road. And our jobs as pros is we've got to make make it work with what they have. So, you know, we're, you know, I've, I've had days where I've worked with, you know, a, Can- a guy that plays in the Canadian Tour, a 15-year-old junior who hits a 320, and a 90 year old lady who wants to get an airborne or a 90 year old man who wants to get airborne. I mean, uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Some of some of my days or some of my hour to hour lessons is quite, uh, quite different, but I think as a golf pro, you just need to be able to have those, uh, tools to adjust to each of your students. What are the typical things you have mentioned that you're working in the off season, um, with your adults and, and juniors, but particularly juniors, what are the things that you are focusing on, um, you know, indoors? Yeah, so we have we have a really good setup. We've got two track man, a flight scope, and a sky track. So we have four hitting bays, and we have a short game area that's sort of it's it's like a thirty foot putting area with a chipping area. So uh, a lot of skill based stuff in the beginning. So we'll we'll really take a look at technique um, early on in January, and we'll come up with a plan for January, February, March to see what we can get done to get them into sort of April, May, which is when they normally start to compete and play. So really the beginning part of our uh, 
program would be, I would call it our most technical part of our season. So we're really working on movements. But we do, however, uh, we won't stay with that the whole winter and we won't even stay with it every week. We have a lot of weeks or uh, we'll have a day where we have some sort of competition day. Uh, so we have a sports psychologist that works with us well and we'll we'll put them in match play settings or we, we will uh, uh, on track man's really cool. You can put them like 150 yards from the, you put them on any hole that you want. So a scenario with water right, bunker left, uh, sort of like and we can put the wind on like from the right or you can do different things to to try to get them to think about where they need to hit the golf ball as well so you know we're doing a lot of technical we do a lot of tactical stuff we love on the trackman screens how you can easily see things with the overhead um map of the hole and then we do start to get into some competitiveness with within our group or within our team to try to see if the technical stuff we're doing, we're always wondering, is this going to work when it matters? And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. So then we have to revisit the technical stuff. So we're always doing a, a little bit of a mixture of some technical, tactical, and some sort of on-course game-like situation. Nice. That sounds like a really good really good setup. I didn't even know you had those options on the yeah. track band or any of those hitting bays where you could just uh, modify all those kind of factors and kind of really work on even just like course management, like you were saying, that's pretty yeah. cool. We, we think it's a great way to learn course management because just that overview, you see the golf course so differently. And we just talk about where you need to hit the golf ball. And uh, we, we played one game this winter that was really cool. It was, um, they were in teams and it was an alternate shot. And basically what they had to do is they had to pick what we call the wider side of the fairway and then the, the side of the pin that you'd want to miss the ball on. And if you missed on the other side, it was a penalty shot. So it was kind of like a really fun activity to do. And it put a lot of pressure, especially in alternate shots. But it showed them, you know, if you miss to the wide side of the green, you make a lot of parts. You, you short side yourself all day, you don't. Because they were taking big, um, you know, a ton of room to miss. And they, were, they would hit the shot and they'd be like, oh, it's 30 yards left of the hole. And we're like, yeah, just wait. You know, and it made it easier for the approach shot or whatever. So just trying to do fun things like that to keep them engaged as well through the winter because it's uh, not the nicest winter here. What uh, what other kinds of – I'm sure you have to f- focus on a lot of fun things for, for the juniors, especially as you get into the younger ages. What kinds of other things do you work on? Um, well, I mean – with trackman and stuff, we're, we're always working on speed. I mean, speed is so important. So at an early age or young age, you know, we're going to identify who needs to create speed. And, and we talk about a, a little bit of training sometime recklessly where we don't really care where the golf ball goes and we sort of push their limit on how far they can hit it. Uh, so we want to make sure all our players have that early. And so that creates a fun environment for the players is just, really trying to create as much speed as possible. We're not just telling them to swing faster. We're giving them different drills and exercises to do to help them with that. Um, you know, technology is so big right now. Like we use blast motion on putting to, to do different things and to create different, different variables as well. But I think, you know, with the kids that I deal with, they're so competitive, a little bit older, it's fun, but anytime we're competing and getting them going against each other, they're, they're, they're having fun doing it and they like to beat each other and we're, uh, we're totally okay with that. We want them to be, to be competing because a lot of our kids, they end up 
that they're competing against each other outside of our group as well. When they go to tournaments, they're, they're head to head a lot. So just get them comfortable with that. Do you notice any difference, um, either in training or in that competitive spirit between boys and girls? Yes, for sure. Um, although I would say I see differences between different boys and different girls as well. So it's not just as simply as saying, you know, these boys do this and, and these girls do that. Like, you know, I've got one girl on the team that's super competitive um, and she she really thrives in those situations. And I really like when she's up against one of the boys because she actually pushes even more. Uh, and then some of the some of the girls really aren't into the competition. They just want to work golf swing. They just want to work technical. Um, and I'd say I've got, you know, one boy who, yeah, well, he's a very, very good player, uh, one of our better players. And when we do our sort of within our team competitions, he performs poorly almost every single time because uh, unfortunately he kind of knows that it's not real and he can kind of turn it on when he has to, which drives me crazy. But at the same time, he performs really well when it really matters. So sometimes, you know, I, I, I've got to coach to each personality and make sure that, you know, some kids, some kids need pushing, some kids practice well, some kids don't. I want them always to put their best effort in. Uh, and that same kid, he puts in a ton of effort when we're doing the technical stuff. That's the stuff that he really, really likes. So when it comes to the competition on TrackMan, he kind of looks at it like, well, this is simulator golf or indoors and it, it's not everything that outdoors is, but I know once he gets, he gets outdoors, it's, it's good. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some differences between girls and boys, but it is, it's not as cut and dry as that. I see really competitive girls. I see really competitive boys and I see the opposite within, within the boys and girls as well. Okay. Uh, well, it sounds like you have a really good team around you. Uh, again, for those who, um, didn't catch the last episode, with Emily Wigan, um, she is Jeff's better half, basically. And it all, you also mentioned uh, uh, like a mental coach as well. Yeah, um, we have a couple. I uh, don't want to leave two out. So we have uh, Lori Deturbit, who um, uh, has her master's in psychology, and she's worked with uh, all the way up. To, she went to the Olympics in Rio uh, with the national gymnastics team. Uh, she's worked with. Uh, world championship curlers and she actually had a student of hers whose name is simon taylor and he uh he just started working with us this past season uh and he's an, a former ncaa golfer from originally from germany but then i believe he spent some time in scotland uh and he's really helped us out well so uh when we're training going back to talking about what we do with him is we'll set up a uh, uh one of the weeks not every week but we'll set up like a a nine hole putting course and the kids have to play it four times. So we try to simulate a golf tournament. And then after each round, he, or if Lori's there, she'll do the same thing. They have to do like a round reflection and talk about the things that they would change or what they thought they did well and what they, what they need to change next time or, or what they're going to do differently. Or, you know, they have to rate their focus from one to 10 and different things. So, you know, having that, you know, having Emily and having the sports psychologist to me, it's, you know, when you're when you're doing competitive and, and high level or high performance golf, it's it's crucial to have those people around you because it really sort of adds to the program and it just gives the, the players that much more um, weapons to, to go with. And I think it's it's so crucial. 
have you found that um, some of those kids that you said may not go see, like seek out Emily or some of, I guess maybe even some of those sports psychologists, um, the ones that do, do they seem to be um, like higher performers that end up going on to some of those more elite levels? Um, I would say yes, but not always, you know, golfers are, there's a different breed. There's, there's players that just do it themselves. They do it their own way. And, um, you know, I think sometimes that's such a, such an important thing to coaching as much as I'm talking about all this stuff. I, I think all this stuff is great. It's what you, you've got to recognize player, what makes certain players perform well and, they don't necessarily have to do exactly everything that we're saying. Ideally, you know, we would like that if, if they did, but you know, at the end of the day, that, that doesn't work for everybody. There's not a mold for everybody to go into. Um, I, the biggest thing I see, and I've seen it quite a few times because I've had players now that I've worked with that are older and they always say the same thing to me. I wish I would have done the other stuff more. I wish I would have, you know, seen Emily more. I wish I would have seen Lori more and, you know, done that because they knew they focus so much on the golf aspect of it. I find as they get, as they get older, they realize, Oh shoot, maybe there was a little bit more, more to this than, than I thought. And the, the other thing, I think Emily was talking about her last week. We had an athlete that um, was really multi-sport, like really good at everything and lots of rotational sports, but, she just she in her college career, which has actually just been extended by a year because of everything. Um, yeah, she she gets injured a lot, you know. So that was a really good example, and she's in contact with Emily all the time about different things she can do. But we knew when she was fifteen years old that she needed to put in different work with Emily to do different things to help prevent those injuries. So that would have been uh, would have been good to see. So I hope now that. I can share those stories with my younger players and, and sort of get them ahead of it before uh, before it's too late. What kinds of things are you looking for um, in in an athlete that, like you had mentioned, just for her, like yeah. um, that you notice that she needs some more of that help? Um, what, what kinds of things are you looking for? Well, I mean, just the limitations on the golf swing. So um, her hips were incredibly tight, uh, so I would have a really tough time creating enough depth on the backswing. And I would get it uh, just by getting it there. And then she would say, well, that kind of hurts this area. You know, she would say something. And I was like, well, if I don't get you, I, like, I was trying to think of different ways to do it. But I just knew for her I needed to get some depth on the backswing to create a little bit of a shallower um, shaft plane on the downswing. And I knew also when I got her there during a lesson, the trackman numbers got way better everything up better ball flight got better but she would come back a week later and we'd be right back to square one right so it was just a lot of repetitiveness to it so the one thing I, I've, I've found working with Emily really closely is it's not only you know people whatever their issue is whether it's uh, mobility or stability or whichever one it, it is that they need to increase um, what I find is is not only does it help them do it better or more efficiently but I find if I uh, I find they retain it way longer. Like the way that the golf swing works is I feel like everybody has a certain pattern and we're kind of always trying to break that pattern unless it's a really good one. But 
I don't see that all the time. Uh, and one of the things that that's key to breaking that pattern is working with, you know, people like yourself or, or Emily to change the way that your body fires and the way that it can feel thing. And people that really put in that work, I see a big difference in the amount of time it takes them to achieve something compared to the person who's just doing it, you know, trying to get the motion, but not putting in that extra work to, to make the changes to their body. Uh, which are necessary to do the the golf swing changes that they need. Yeah, I think it's so hard sometimes. Um, I could just think of myself with uh, when I went through the TPI screen and just TPI training, um, kind of that pelvic rotation. And yeah. I see, I remember learning it. I saw uh, Dave do it on the screen. He's just like rotating his pelvis. I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Right. And I do it and I'm way off. It's like totally rocking the boat, like lateral motion, not rotating at all. Yeah. And it legitimately, so I went through some of the drills that they had and it took me, I mean, I did it probably three or four times a day and just slowly progressed my way up, but it probably took me a good two weeks to finally get it so I could do it independently and kind of rotate my pelvis independently, you know, in a good way, uh, against my upper body. And I think, you know, so many people get discouraged after not seeing any progress in, you know, just two days or anything like that. Cause everything that we get today is so, you know, instant for the most part. And when you don't see results that fast, everyone just gives up, but unfortunately it just takes a lot of time. It, it does. And it's the same thing with that exercise. It's like, you know, when people go on Instagram and see TPI and they see Lexi Thompson and they see Justin Thomas or whoever doing these drills or doing these exercises where they're doing box jumps or doing these crazy things people want to do that right away and they don't realize that that's not where you start, <laughs> you know? So it is, it is, even with our juniors, they always like, Oh, can we do, I don't know the exercise that JT did. We're like, guys, you, you can't do that. You're all going to hurt yourselves if you, if you attempt that. So and you kind of mentioned it earlier, um, how you said that you contradict yourself, uh, you know, within yeah. a couple of hours on, on the, on the golf course there or, or at the driving range giving lessons how often do you have to stop some of your juniors or even adults from saying like, Oh, well, I want to swing like Rory or I want to swing like Dustin Johnson. And, and I know me and you both know that it's hard to emulate those, those guys in an actual swing and everyone has a different swing. So how often are you having to do that? Um, all the time. Uh, and as much as I love social media, the last few months have been really difficult because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm all for all the different styles of swings and, and everything, and I appreciate everybody's work. I think, you know, golf pros are doing a great job, and there's different ways to, to relay the message. But what, you know, especially my young players don't understand is that, um, yeah, to have as much left wrist flexion at the top of your swing as DJ, it's not going to work for you unless you can do a whole bunch of other things. Um, and the same thing, you know, with the the big rotation guys or you know instructors now like with getting to the top of your swing and just trying to spin your hips or, or whatever uh, i don't want to put down instructors but you know there's so many other things that go with that in order to do that so for me that's great for some players and like i said i might tell someone to get to the top of their backswing okay i feel like your pelvis is just going to rotate you want very little lateral and I'm probably telling them that because they have too much lateral, right? So I'm trying to counteract a movement with another movement. But for them, a lot of people I find are just going on, seeing this information and just trying it. 
without realizing the impact that it has on them and all of the other sort of nuances that go with it, whether it's club position, face position, physical abilities, whatever it is. So yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Um, yeah, I, I hear it all the time. I, I mean, I, I hear members at my club talk about Rory all the time and I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. And I do, I use Rory all the time in my comparisons because I love the way that uh, he creates vertical and the way that he uses the ground to create power. But I, I want people to lean towards that. I don't need them to come to me and think they're going to be able to do it right away, but I'm all for them going to try to get better and, and be able to do it for, for sure. But it's definitely a battle uh, with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say, you know, to anyone who's listening, get assessed yeah. by a medical person or, or trained fitness professional and also get some lessons or some idea from a golf professional, even just once on some ideas on what you can do or should be doing to improve your swing. Cause even before I knew anything, um, I was still interested in golf and again, you'd see all these different things. I, I can remember explicitly them highlighting DJ's wrist flexion yeah. at the top of his backswing. And I try that. And I'm like, there's no way that I can do this. Like it just feels so unnatural for me. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that I can't maintain this. How do they want me to do this? It's almost impossible. For sure. And it's, you're thinking, all, and, and you're seeing guys now, other guys do it. I mean, John Rom does a very similar thing and, um, I know everybody gets inflection at some point in their golf swing, but DJ was, he sort of, I, I think he, he started it and it was, it was great. And he's an unbelievable ball striker, but that is something that DJ did that he didn't even know he was doing for a long time. I guarantee it. And there, there's an, a great example of, uh, I don't know who DJ's teacher was growing up, but whoever left that alone and let him be him did an amazing job without probably doing a whole lot. That's a huge key to this. And that's what, what I've liked in the last few years with golf. You talk about DJ, you talk about Matt Wolf. Like I'm a big fan of all that because I feel like at one time I'd say like nineties, early two thousands, it was all so positional based golf was becoming position, position, position. Uh, and now you see these athletes and you see these different moves and as an instructor, it gives you so much more to work with because now if I see someone who does that and they, you know, they fleece it and hit it really good, fantastic. You know, we don't need to change that. Impact is is great. Impact is this, and that's that's all that matters. But it gives you different options, and I, I, I really like the way that the game has evolved with going back to having some more, what I would describe as unique-looking golf swings. I think it's great for the game, and you don't have to swing it uh one way yeah i think if you're going to describe a unique swing i mean you just said it matthew wolf right there phenomenal have you ever messed around with it i haven't no i haven't tried uh, i haven't spent too much time this this year of course the driving ranges are still closed for the most part so yeah. i haven't been able to do anything it's, it's really interesting i mean it, it it's hard to do but um and you saw it on the weekend first speed it is amazing it is it, when you get that this way internal and then go super external. Holy, that creates a lot of speed on the downside. I think the body's doing some stuff there too, but just that, that's a cool one. That's a really cool one. Yeah. Let's, um, I think, last question here in terms of um, juniors. 
I don't know if you heard this on the last episode with your wife, but I asked her a question on how do you deal with uh, parents, meaning her, and then she deferred that, that she doesn't have to deal with that. She said, I put that all on my husband. So tell me, me, how do you deal with these different parents? Because again, I know we talked about, you know, you may have the helicopter parent versus the parent who's just like really lax and, you know, kind of almost takes a a backseat to everything. For sure. There's definitely, definitely different parents. I've had lots of different people. I would say for the most part, golf parents are really good. Very, very supportive of, of their children. Um, we're in an area where, you know, most of the parents have been fantastic. And, you know, when you are competitive golfer in Nova Scotia, you're traveling a lot. So the, the, um, uh, pressure on the parent to get kids everywhere is huge. So first off, I'd say, you know, the parents that I've dealt with for the most part have been really good. Uh, I think I try to communicate with them as, as much as I can. Um, and I think that's really important to deal with the parents. Uh, generally, well, most years I'll, I'll have a, uh, a parents meeting at the beginning of the year, uh, try to do something before the season starts and then something at the end of the year, just to make sure that everybody knows the progress that we had. But if I, if I do start to see something go sideways, like I'll, I'll contact the parent right away and either have a conversation with just them or ideally with them and their, and their child to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this, the big thing is communication and, and just making sure that it's, it's an open dialogue. Uh, I have had some parents in the past question technique that I'm teaching to their kids. I've always found that really, really interesting because um, they're not really trained in this profession, but yet they feel the need to, to do certain things with their kids. So if that happens, um, I find it really difficult because as a player, now they're getting mixed messages. That one would actually bother me the most out of, the, out of anything I would say. Um, and for me, what I do is again, I would sit down with the parent and explain this to them, uh, and maybe using some golf terms that I don't normally use to try to say, look, this is the reason why this is happening and this, this, and this, and, you know, and, and try to make it not make it. it it's telling them that I, I know what I'm doing with this. And this is why, this is why we're doing it. And we don't want to send mixed messages uh, to, to your child. So to me, I'd say that would, that would be one of the, the difficult ones. The other thing that I would run into a little bit would be in group situations where, because uh, sometimes I'm seeing the kids, you know, in a, in a group setting. Um, sometimes the parents are watching from afar. Sometimes I don't even realize it. Uh, and I've been accused be- uh, before of like spending too much time with one kid or the other. That's a difficult one. Uh, it happens sometimes. But as an instructor, you know, I've had that happen enough that I'm actually now really, I'm trying to be very, very conscious of it. It's something that I, 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 I didn't, I never did on purpose. But you can see it happening sometimes. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes is it happens with the player that's struggling the most, right? So you're in a setting and one, one player maybe is having a tough time and you end up finding yourself dealing with them. So, you know, from my point of view, I'm, I've tried to become more aware of that as a coach to make sure that I'm giving everybody the equal time. And uh, it's good now that I have Kyle that teaches with me to make sure that, you know, we're splitting our time accordingly as best we can. But it is uh, it is difficult. Yeah, I'm sure that could be tough. And to your first point, I I feel the same way as a medical provider when someone comes in and they say, "Well, this is what Google said we should do," yeah, or, or whatever. And um, you know, to me, it's just 
so frustrating immediately. I'm like, yeah. well, I'm, I'm the person who went to school and I have the degree. Yeah. This is why you're here. Just trust me. And what I'm saying is going to be ideal for you. Um, I mean, if you want it to do with whatever Dr. Google said, then go for it. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you just have to say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't going to work out. So, you know, we might have to go our different ways. Uh, that hasn't happened a lot, but yeah, sometimes parents do think that they can get their child further than I can. And if, if they choose to do that, I, I don't think it's fair for the child, but sometimes it's what they do. It's what happens. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But, um, let's, let's end this on a high note here. I have some fun questions for us again. I don't know if you, you've heard these already, but uh, I can't remember. Last I did watch the show. But yeah. Okay. First one is what is the best course that you've played? The best course that I've played, uh, I would have to say the country club in Boston. Okay. Nice. Um, all right. Second question here is, it's a risky approach shot to the green. Are you going for it or laying up? Uh, it depends on the pin location, <laughs> the bailout area. Uh, I'm going for it for sure. Okay. Yeah. And then you're going to go out for a round. Who's in your dream foursome? My dream foursome. Um, did Emily say me? I don't even think she did. I'll she take did. I don't want to throw under the bus, but no, she didn't say you yeah, actually. Uh, dream foursome. Uh, no, I'm going to go off. I'm not going to, I'm going to kick her out of the group. I mean, I'd say tiger, tiger, Nicholas, Ben Hogan. There you go. Classic, yeah. classic group. Um, yeah. awesome. What is, uh, any last words of advice or wisdom that you'd like to give the listeners, um, in terms of working with juniors or anyone? I mean, I know we've kind of talked about both, but anything, any last words of advice to kind of, Keep yeah. the game healthy. I think it's important to just, to just get to know the junior, to understand what makes them tick. I find sometimes, you know, I've done lots of seminars and different things. We try to get players into one mold, and I really think it's important to know that people can be very successful doing very different things. So it's important as a coach to recognize your junior's abilities and what makes them tick and make sure that you're you're staying along that same path, but at the same time pushing them to be great. Uh Telling them they're great if they're doing well. I'd say that's one thing I need to work on better is telling my players when, when they're playing well and making sure they're getting that positive reinforcement, that positive feedback, because that goes a long way with, with young players. Uh, and also constantly challenge them, challenging them, making sure that they're, they're growing and getting better, uh, not just as, as golfers, but, but as people as, as well. Like um, I'm really big with my juniors in making sure that they talk to all the rules officials talk to talk to the, uh, the the volunteer who's doing the scoring you know push yourself out of your boundaries if you're not comfortable in that so really just making sure that they're they're trying to be the best young person that that they can be and and, and reinforcing those uh, those things to them that's some great advice right there Jeff where can uh, people get in contact with you um, if they want to ask you any more questions or, or maybe work with you? Yeah, for sure. We do, uh, do some online uh, instruction as well. Uh, we just started that during this uh, quarantine or uh, whatever it's called these days. Um, McDonald Scott Golf, that Instagram handle is, is the best way. You can just send a direct message if you're looking for any other information. And then uh, from there, if you need an email address or a text or something, I can get that to you as well. But just uh, DM that 
that Instagram. It'll be either myself or Kyle will get back to you, but uh, one of us will for sure. Excellent. I'll link that up in the show notes. Great. Uh, Jeff, thanks for spending the time with us and spreading your knowledge. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. I learned a lot from Jeff. I hope you did. If you would love to work with Jeff, please reach out to him on his Instagram. Again, that's in the show notes. Give him a follow. If you'd like to learn a little bit more on the physical training side of junior golfers, please listen to our last episode with Jeff's wife, Emily Wigan. Um, Once again, I am endlessly thankful for you tuning in and listening to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. If you haven't done so already, I would be eternally grateful if you subscribed, gave our show a rating, and reviewed it on whichever podcast platform that you choose to listen to this on. Keep working on getting better on and off the golf course because when you feel great, you golf great.